what a great gradual hymn, Hallelujah, what a Savior, and Hallelujah, what a salvation that comes to us through Him. One of the ways that that comes to us through Him, we claim as Anglicans, is in our process of training and taking on the, the discipline, the work, the really the joy of prayer book spiritual practice. One of the great fixtures of that is the daily office, morning and evening prayer. And one of the great graces of praying the daily office, daily morning and daily evening prayer, is repeating the collect of the week each day of the week. And the collect of the week is the prayer that we pray in the Mass on Sunday. And that one is repeated each day of the week in our daily prayers as we go through the week praying other things in daily morning and daily evening prayer. And I want to mention that here in case you are new to Anglican practice or perhaps you're a lifelong Anglican new to practicing the Anglicanism in which you grew up. Um, I don't say that rudely. I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. I believed into my bones that the Bible was the inspired Word of God, but I never read it. All right? So my first step as a Southern Baptist was to practice the Baptist faith I was taught in Sunday school, and I started that in my mid-twenties. And some number of years later, I discovered the prayer book, and that changed a few things as well. There's a pattern and a rule to that prayer book practice. It's kind of like steps in a dance or the rules of the road. There's a way that our praying is organized so that it can be learned by everybody that wishes to learn it. Thus, the word common in the Book of Common Prayer. And then what everybody learns, everybody can practice. Whether we practice our praying individually or are allowed for seasons to practice also in a group. And what you'll find in the offices is there's three prayers or collects toward the end of the office. And they're part of that shared practice. We pray these three collects at each office. And the first one is always the collect of the week. We pray that Sunday through Saturday. And then there's the collect of the day of the week. And that one moves through the week as we go. And then there are the three collects for mission. And you can kind of mix and match those as you move through the week. That's the, the pattern for practice and repetition, and repetition is such an important part. Because repetition teaches. It's how we learn. You know, I think about how many times I sang the ABCs with my kids as they were growing up. Over and over and over, always the same tune, always the same letters, and always in the exact same order. And that's how you build a foundation for literacy. And that's one of the functions and one of the glories of order or rule in our praying because we're learning a literacy and learning a grammar for prayer. Now, Here's the thing about rules. So we have a rule of prayer, and there's one hard and fast rule about rules, and that is that there are always exceptions. And this is an exceptional Sunday. We're celebrating a fixed feast, a fixed feast and observance for a particular day, Holy Cross Day, which is set annually and scheduled for September the 14th. And we're observing it here on September the 16th, 
and on a Sunday at that. And there's, there's actually a, a whole set of rules about that that I'm not going to get into right now. This Sunday is an exception. And that's the only thing that's important for this moment. And exceptions in many cases, and certainly I believe in this case, are good things. And this Sunday's exception, this celebration of the Holy Cross, is a great thing. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is the great exception. It declares to us the great accepting that a holy God, through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, through blood shed on the altar that is His cross, accepts and forgives sinners so that Believing forgiven sinners can become children of God. Believers transforming and transformed into saints and being transported into glory by the same grace by which we forgiven sinners were and are and always will be saved. This brings to mind a few important texts from sacred scripture in addition to what we've already read. God shows his love for us in that we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? That's from Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. If not, please get it stuck in the gray matter of your mind. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Few passages have helped me more than that passage. And if you've never heard it before, what a great privilege it is for me to be the one to speak those words to you. Holy words, sacred words, true words, transforming words. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another text. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It's another important passage about the great redemption, the only redemption that accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ, who stretched out his arms on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. And I did not write that last bit. I wish I did. But I didn't. I learned it in the prayer book. 
It's from the third collect for mission at morning prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we reaching forth our hands in love may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. It's one of my absolute favorite prayers in all the prayer book. And I wouldn't have learned it if I had only used the prayer book on Sundays at Mass. It's a daily office prayer. I cannot overemphasize the importance and value of regular practice of either morning or evening prayer, or both, or whatever part and portion you can learn and practice from either office. And the goal isn't to do it perfectly. The goal is to do it stubbornly and repeatedly. The same sort of goes for Sunday worship. We're not here simply to appreciate a beautiful liturgy, although it's wonderful when they're beautiful. We're not here to watch a priest consecrate the sacred host, but praise the Lord, that's going to happen. We're not even here to endure a sermon. Thank you, that was a joke. <laughs> We're here for a holy confrontation between God's superabundant grace and our desperate need. We're here to take in, to receive the message of the gospel by scripture and by sacrament, by the word of God made audible and the word of God made edible. We're here for grace to come into our spirits through the medium of our bodies so that strengthened and confirmed in God's grace, we can imitate Jesus and take up our crosses and follow after him. And what I'm doing now in preaching is declaring the gospel to you from the pulpit so that we can participate in the gospel at the altar so that we can practice the gospel in our daily praying and daily living. It's all of one piece. The pulpit and the altar go together, two parts of one whole. The Holy Eucharist and the daily office go together, two parts of one whole. Christ and his church, the husband and the bride, the head and the body go together, two parts of one whole. And his cross and our crosses go together. His cross justifies our crosses sanctify, and the Father is glorified. And there is no gospel without the cross, both his and ours. We lost our innocence in the fall, and our return to it is through the redemption which was brought about by Christ's death and by our slow participation in it. I didn't write that either. And I wish I did. That sentence is from an essay by Flannery O'Connor. And that sentence lit a slow burning fire in my heart 24 years ago. And thank God it's not gone out yet. We lost our innocence in the fall and our return to it is through the redemption which was brought about by Christ's death and by our slow participation in it. 
those words highlight two things to me. First, the sufficiency of Christ's accomplished work on the cross. It is finished. It is accomplished. And two, the necessity of my entrance into his work through practical faith. You see, faith is a verb. It's something I do. And practical faith is trusting practice in Christ's ongoing application of his finished work onto my life. Quick clarification. Participatory faith in the cross of Christ is not a work of the law. It is not meritorious. I'm not earning anything by taking up my cross and following after Jesus. Participatory faith in the cross of Christ is trusting a person, Jesus, who, again, as Paul wrote to Titus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And how does Jesus purify us? Unfortunately, not by magic and not instantly. He purifies us by training us. Jesus purifies us by by training us. And again, Paul's words to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And Jesus trains us in part, in large part, by teaching us in words like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Prayer book spiritual practice is not the only way to do this. But by experience, I can tell you that it works. Slowly and over time and with effort, but it works. And by study, I can tell you that the foundations of prayer book spiritual practice go back through holy history and sacred tradition to men like St. Benedict and before him, St. Anthony the Great and before him to the early church of the apostolic fathers and before them to the apostles and to their teacher and master, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It was Jesus who, as St. Peter writes, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, for the sake of me, for the sake of us, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Prayer book practice leads us to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, training us and sustaining us in the way of the cross, which is the way of Jesus, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life. Savior of the world, by your cross and precious blood, you have redeemed us. Save us and help us. We humbly beseech you, O Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, 
whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross, that he might draw the whole world to himself, mercifully grant that we who glory in the mystery of our redemption may have grace to take up our cross and follow him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen.